Well, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You know, some years catch me off guard, but I feel like I'm ready for this year. I don't know if I'm ready. Ready is probably not the right word. You're never really ready, but I'm excited and I'm expectant. God's going to do something awesome in my life. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yeah? Yeah? Chelsea's claiming that. The Eslicks are claiming that. Yep. Down the back. God's going to do some awesome things in our lives this year. Amen? He's a good God. Um, Well, Nick's finally been released from the cage. We just had our 8.30 service and we have run straight through. We didn't have a break. So Nick's been sitting in that cage for four hours. Ah, so beautiful. What, did he just poke his head out? Amazing. You are a spiritual warfare drummer. Amazing. Um, (laughs) There he is. What a legend. So good. And Jared pulling out the reserves in the second service. Thank you, Jared. You're a blessing. So this year... um, 2019, I believe that God's put a word on our heart, Sam and I, for today, and I believe this is a word straight from heaven. It's, it's a solid word. It's a word that we can take into our year with us, and um, the question I want us to ask ourselves is, two questions, what will I build this year? What will I build this year, and what resources will I use to build it? What will I build in 2019? And what resources will I use to build that thing? A few weeks ago, I was reading um, the, the scripture and I'm, being, I'm kind of traveling through Exodus, which is where um, God leads Moses to lead his people out of slavery and head them towards their promise. And he basically rescues this nation, millions of people who are actually slaves, people with slave mentality, generational slavery. And he rescues them and he says, you guys are like, you are royalty and you have a land that's going to be yours. And this is so foreign to their thinking. They have this leader, Moses. And so Moses has his work cut out for him. And at this point, um, I was up to the stage where they're at the base of Mount Sinai and, and God calls Moses to come and hang out so that he can instruct Moses on how to lead the people. And this one line in Exodus 19 arrested me for days. You know, sometimes I can just read one line and it just like jumps off the page at me and I have to really meditate on it in order to get everything out of it. And so that was this this scripture in Exodus 19 verse 3. It says, Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before the Lord. And that was it. And it floored me. Moses climbed the mountain to appear before the Lord. And God said to me, Carolina, you all have a mountain to climb. We all have mountains to climb. Climbing a mountain calls on effort. (laughs) It calls on stamina. It calls on commitment. Climbing a mountain is not a walk in the park. Climbing a mountain means you have to draw on inner reserves. It it is going to require effort. 
It's going to require a commitment to the task at hand. Climbing mountains means we're drawn by whatever it is that's waiting for us at the summit. Climbing a mountain means we are going to seek something that is waiting for us at the summit. God is waiting for us at the summit. And so we're motivated to see him. We're motivated to see him. But what I loved was the simplicity of this statement, Moses climbed the mountain to appear before the Lord. His only purpose in climbing the mountain was just to appear before the Lord. And God is waiting for us there at the summit. And we present our humble selves to his magnificence and his beauty and his extravagance. And we're under his gaze. And every time I consider being under the gaze of God, it is such a humbling thing to meditate on being under the presence of God, because God is both judge and jury over my life and lover of my soul. God is both completely fearsome and, and demanding of my awe and reverence and kind and loving and gentle at the same time. In the same moment, I'm completely exposed and covered. In the same moment, I'm afraid and I'm loved. In the same moment, I know I'm a wretched human and I'm a restored daughter of the king. In the same moment, under the gaze of God, I am completely undone and I'm in my rawest form and that's the only reason I go to the mountain. is to appear before the Lord under his gaze. And so this struck me for days and then I started to think about the psalmist and and David, the psalmist, who wrote, well, who can ascend to the mountain of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Anyone who has clean hands and a pure heart. And my heart broke. And I said, God, I don't have clean hands. I don't have clean hands. Then I realized, well, David, who wrote this, didn't have clean hands either. He was an adulterer. And yet he wrote that. And then I realized, well, Moses, who, who we just read about, who climbed the mountain to appear before the Lord, he didn't have clean hands. He was a murderer. And yet God calls him up the mountain, and he climbs the mountain, and God receives him in his presence. So what is this about a clean-handed, pure-hearted person being the only person who can come before God? Well, Ephesians 1 verse 7 says that I'm forgiven of all my sins and washed in the blood of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 tells me I'm a new creature in Christ. The old has gone and the new has come. Further on in that same chapter, I'm told I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Think of God in his purity and his righteousness. That scripture tells me I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so he calls us up the mountain and welcomes us in his presence when we know who we are. We know that we're washed, that we're righteous, and that we're a new creation. We all have mountains to climb, and we can boldly come to appear before the Lord. And then a few days or weeks later, I can't remember how long it was, God led us quite randomly to the book of Haggai, 
which is only two chapters long, and some of you may not even have known there was a book named Haggai. Well, there is, and you can quite easily miss it because it's so small, and Haggai was one of the prophets. It's in the books of the prophets in the Old Testament. And God led us there, and I want to read you just a few excerpts out of these two chapters as we continue on this idea of climbing mountains. Haggai 1. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent his message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what is happening to you. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you are not satisfied. You drink, but you are still thirsty. You put on clothing, and you can't keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you are putting them in pockets filled with holes. And this is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Now go up the hills. Bring, up the, bring down the timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, it blew away. Why? Because my house still lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are bu busy, busy building, while all of you are busy building fine houses for yourselves, it is because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called a drought on your fields and hills and drought to wither the grain and the grapes and the olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Verse 12, Then Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message from the Lord their God. And Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. Verse 14, So, the Lord sparked enthusiasm in the leaders and the people. I love that. It's the Spirit of God that comes on us and stirs us and, and um, witnesses to us. The Lord sparked enthusiasm in the remnant of God's people. And they began to build. Chapter 2, verse 4, God says, Be strong, all you people still left in the land, and now get to work, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. So don't be afraid. Verse 19. This is beautiful. I'm giving you a promise now. While the seed is still in the barn, you have not even harvested your grain yet. Your grape uh, your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates and olive trees had not, have not yet produced their crops. But from this day, I will bless you. Verse 23, I will honor you. I will make you a signet ring on my hand, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. Powerful. There's more to it. And for anyone who's been in church life for more than, I'd say, 10 years, I encourage you to read all of Haggai 1 and 2 because he talks to people who have seen it in its former glory. That's another message all on its own. But um, if you were here last week, you would have heard Jared preach a little bit out of this. It was quite powerful about putting God first. And I love that Haggai says a few times through those passages, consider your ways. Just stop and think about it. 
You eat, but you're still hungry. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put designer clothes on your children, but your family are still cold. You work your backside off, and somehow your money falls through the holes in your purse. Just consider your ways. Consider your ways. While you do all that, my house lies in ruins 18 years after I told you to build my house. I want to tell you this morning that you never come second by putting God first. You'll always come second if God's not first. You'll always wonder why there are holes in your purse, why you can't be full while you're still thirsty until you put God first. Years and years and years ago when Sam and I started out in ministry, God specifically said to me through his spirit, if you build my house, I'll build yours. If you build my house, I'll build yours. At that time, we were youth pastors and we were starting to see so many pastors' kids from other churches join our youth ministry. From right across Brisbane, the children of pastors of other churches in the city were coming to our youth ministry and being loved and ministered to in our youth ministry. And God said to me, you look after the pastor's kids, I'll look after your kids. You build my house, I'll build yours. It's the way to live life. When you put God first, you'll never come second. And that's what God's saying. You're so busy building your own kingdom while mine lies in ruins. And that's why you're in lack. That's why you're in lack. Consider your ways, seeking first the kingdom of God. Proverbs 14 verse 1 says, A wise woman builds her house, but a foolish one tears it down with her own hands. What will we build this year? Will we build our own kingdoms or will we build the kingdom of God? What will we build? So three thoughts as we sort of journey through this passage in Haggai. The first one is, it's time to take action. It's time to take action. He says to the people in verse 8, go up the hills, get the timber, and rebuild my house. It's time to take action. Go up the mountain like Moses did. Go up the mountain to appear before the Lord. What is this message all about? This message is all about you doing this this year. Oh, it's all about you appearing before the Lord. Whether you're trying to figure out a baby sleep routine, hello, a marriage crisis, or a worldwide organization that you're leading as a CEO, the answers are here. The answers are appearing before the Lord. Go up the mountain, get the timber, and rebuild my house. What you find at the top of the mountain is what you will bring down to build with. What you receive at the top of the mountain is the only sustainable thing that you can build what he's calling you to build. You can't build what he's calling you to build this year and for the rest of your life with artificially manufactured materials or recycled timber. You need to go to the top of the mountain and get the lumber from the top of the mountain to build what he wants you to build. It's time to take spiritual action. 
It's time to stop trying to do it in your own strength and build your own kingdom. Consider your ways, he says. Go to the mountain. Get the timber and build my house. What you gather on the mountain, you can build with. 18 years of procrastination. God had asked his people 18 years ago to rebuild his temple. And for 18 years, they intended to get to it. I want to tell you today, intention is far less than obedience. Obedience is greater than intention. And in fact, today, church, procrastination is disobedience. Procrastination, excuses, justification, I'll get, it one to, one, get to it one day, is actually disobedience. What happens when we get into the presence of Jesus one day and he asks us why we didn't fulfill our potential? And we say, well, I was busy pleasing everybody else. I was busy, I was busy chasing the wind. I was busy doing what I wanted to do. It's not going to fly. It's not going to fly. It's time to take action. It's time to go to the top of the hill and be obedient and bring down the timber and build the kingdom of God. Ephesians 2.10 says, I am God's workmanship created in Christ for good works. I am the workmanship of God. Before you even breathed your first breath, God had fashioned for you good works that he intended for you to do in this generation. Mote, politics is bigger than you realize for you. But resist doing it in your own strength. Jerry, that business, how long? Resist doing it in your own strength. It's bigger than we realize. It's bigger than we realize. And so we come into his place and we realize I have actually been created by God in Jesus for good works. And so I need to do those good works. I need to be obedient and take action to tap into the calling and blessing through that the nation will be blessed. James 1, 22 and 25 says, I'm a doer of the word and blessed in all my actions. I'm not just a hearer, I'm a doer. And because I'm a doer, I'm, a bl- I'm blessed in all my actions. Yeah. I'm not a procrastinator. I'm not an intender. I'm not a one day I'll get to it. I'm a doer of the word and therefore I'm blessed in all my actions. I step out in faith. Take action this year. Seek first the kingdom. Everything else will be added to you. Be obedient and be blessed. The second thought this morning is access the right resource. Access the right resource. Haggai 1 verse 11 tells us that God's called a drought on the fields and the hills. This is quite amazing when I sat there and I thought about this drought and I pictured the land and the landscape and there's a drought going on and yet he tells the people to go to a mountaintop where there's an abundance of lumber. And I pray that I can communicate this in a way that speaks to someone in the spirit this morning. Because no matter what your natural circumstance is, no matter the drought, as long as you're doing what God is calling you to do, the forest is lush. There may be a drought down there, but up here, 
Your resource is standing tall, waiting for you to access it. It is fear and pride that keeps you from accessing this. When we climb the mountain, we see the drought doesn't affect the forests that God has waiting for us. He is not limited to and bound by our natural circumstances. The reports, the doubts, the fears, the naysayers mean nothing. There's an abundance waiting for you at the top of the mountain. Access the right resource. Climb the mountain and find the resource. I want to tell you, if God's called you to it, he'll also foot the bill. If God has called you to it, he'll foot the bill. He'll find the resource for you. It's not about vain effort. It is not about striving. It's just about an obedience that taps into favor. It's like going, I don't know if there's any land that's going to meet me, but there it is. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm stepping out because you said, and there it is. I've seen it on the mountaintop, and I'm stepping into it. Philippians 4, this is your identity. Philippians 4 tells you, and you can say this over yourself. I have no lack because my God supplies all my need according to his glory in Christ Jesus. I have no lack because my God supplies all of my need according to his glory in Christ Jesus. Not my glory, not my kingdom, not what I want, but his glory in Christ Jesus. I have no lack. You know, some of you have heard me share around my story growing up that my family broke down when I was about 11 years old. I'm the oldest of three girls, and uh, my mum and, and my family, immediate family, were migrants from Poland, so she didn't speak any English very broken English, and she was suddenly left in a foreign nation with no uh, financial support, you know, struggling, shift working in hospitals and factories and raising three girls. She had no options, and she became a Christian. She, God met her in that point, and she became a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. And I guess the reason that I have given my whole life to this is because I've seen what the power of the kingdom of God can do around one person's life. Because she came with all her lack and all her emptiness and all her brokenness and all her fear and her negative, depleted, backwards state. And she was scooped up by the church and she was restored. She wasn't given a handout, but she was rebuilt. They said to her, Anna, you have to tithe. How dare you? Ask a woman who doesn't even have enough money to put her kids on a bus or food in their lunch packs to tithe. Because God says, if you do it, I will bless you. And that's why I have no problem talking about the kingdom of God and the principles of heaven because I've seen it in my own life. I've gone from walking for kilometers to school because there wasn't 70 cents for a bus fare. I've gone from having nothing in my lunch pack as a teenager to seeing my mother live the most abundant, blessed life that I could not even describe for you right now in the time we have. And if she wasn't working shifts in the hospital, she was driving us to youth group, life group, choir practice, 
she, if she wasn't working, she was driving us to the house of God. She did not miss a single Sunday in church. And if we ever complained about having to get up, we were set straight pretty quick. She served in the house of God. And if anyone deserved to be served, it was someone like her. And yet she served. I want to tell you the life of abundance she lives now is beyond natural understanding. You cannot balance it on a, on a budget. If God calls you to it, he'll foot the bill for it. And you will never come second by putting God first. Ever. In your finance, in your relationships, in your integrity, in your character, in your pursuit. What you get on the mountain is what you need to build what he's calling you to do. My final thought for us this morning is know that you're favored. When your priorities are right, he blesses you before you even start. When your priorities are right, when your motive is right, when your revelation is heavenly, he blesses you before you even start. He says in chapter 2, I am giving you a promise that while the seed is still in the barn, you haven't even sown the seed. You have not even harvested your grain. While your grapevines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive trees have not even produced their crops, I'm going to bless you. And then he goes on in, in verse 23, I'll honor you. I'll make you a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. His love for us is so great. His favor towards us is undeserved. There's nothing you and I did to deserve it. But he blesses us and favors us when we put him first. Song of Solomon says, I have set you, he's speaking to us, I've set you as a seal upon my heart. That he has a love for us that is as strong as death. It can't be overcome. It's, it's jealous and it's strong. It says, many waters can't quench his love. It's an all-consuming fire, his love for you. And it goes on and it says, actually, if someone was to try to pay God for his love, which is what Haggai is saying, that they're trying to do all this stuff. If someone was trying to pay God, if someone was trying to sell all their things to pay God off, it would be a completely scornful experience because you cannot pay God off. His love is unquenchable, unending, never satisfied. He loves you unendingly. And he sets you as a signet ring on his hand, which means you are marked by him. You are his chosen people. In the letters of Peter, he tells us, I am a part of a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation. I am purchased by him. You have favor. You have favor. You have favor this year. Favor on your year in Jesus' name. When your priorities are right, he blesses you before you even start. He makes a way before you've even started. He goes before you when your priorities are right. As we establish his kingdom on the earth, he will send the rain. As we spread the rumors of his goodness, he will flood the earth. As we shamelessly declare his name,
without reserve. He will break the drought. Whose kingdom are you building? And where are you retrieving your resource from? I'm speaking to someone here who can grasp this in the spirit this morning. Will we be a people who are committed to building his house? This is a call to reestablish the spiritual condition of our nation. As long as we build our own kingdoms and the house of God lies in ruins, the nation falls apart. The decrepit state of our nation is on us because we as God's people have been busy building our own houses. We as God's people have been distracted. And he's saying, the nation, my house, it lies in ruins and it's affecting the state of the nation. This is a call for us to come back and rebuild the spiritual condition of our nation. I'm wondering who here will catch us in the spirit. I believe God's calling us to this. The creative team are going to minister a song to us now and I'd love for you just to receive the significance of these prophetic words. And at the end of this song, the um, prayer team are going to come to the front and, and they've got anointing oil. And I invite you to come out and every single one here to come and be anointed for the year um, by the team. And then we'll go into some more worship time. Thanks, team. <laughs> 